Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. If we haven't met, my name's Tom Barrett. I'm one of the ministers here. We're going to be pondering that Good Friday scene that we just read. It'd be good to have Luke 23 open in front of you as we ponder this together. Over the last few months with Ukraine filling our news feeds, one of the horrors that we've been confronted with is the death of the innocent. People who are not participating in the conflict, who didn't hold any particular position about the relationship between Ukraine and Russia, people who weren't fighting against the invaders with their lives suddenly taken from them. People who were in the process of fleeing to safety. Elderly people, sick people who weren't able to evacuate. Women, children. The death of the innocent is something that quickly and intensely stirs up our sense of horror, of grief, of outrage. Which makes it so strange that on Good Friday we gather to commemorate or maybe even celebrate the death of an innocent man. Surely this event is a tragedy. Surely it's an outrage. As we read Luke's Gospel just now, we heard Jesus' innocence underlined again and again. The Jewish religious leaders of his day had brought Jesus to the Roman governor with some concocted charges, seeking the death penalty. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, had interrogated Jesus and found nothing against him. Herod shipped Jesus off to the Jewish puppet king, Herod, who also failed to dig up any dirt. So Jesus was sent back to Pilate, who says to the people in verse 14, I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Pilate speaks the truth. But the crowds shout back, crucify, crucify. Pilate says, why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. But the crowds persist and Pilate folds. Two criminals were crucified next to Jesus. Down in verse 41, one of them says to the other, we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. As Jesus dies, he doesn't curse God or curse his enemies. As he's mocked, he calls, Father, forgive them. As he breathes his last, he entrusts himself to God's care. After the deed is done, the Roman soldier in charge of the execution squad declares in verse 47, surely this was a righteous man. The death we commemorate today was the death of an innocent one. And it raises the question, how can the death of an innocent person ever be good news? This innocent death came out not amidst the chaos and confusion of war where mistakes happen, but in the open, under the auspices of one of the greatest civilizations in history through an open perversion of justice. 
evidence was presented, his innocence was established, but then Jesus was condemned and executed anyway, while the murderer, Barabbas, was set free. In the events of Good Friday, we see not just the innocence of Jesus, but also the corruption of the human race. On Good Friday, the full extent of human evil is revealed. We see religious people orchestrating violence to preserve their own power against a whistleblower. We see governments allowing injustice to go ahead to preserve their own power in the face of popular pressure. We see the crowd of onlookers ridiculing and taunting this beaten and bruised man who had only ever proclaimed a way of peace and who'd done countless acts of healing and compassion. On Good Friday, we see human evil drawing itself up to its full height. And on Good Friday, it looks a lot like evil wins. How can this be good news? Surely such a dark day is best forgotten, left in the past, swept under the carpet if necessary. Well, to see the good news, we need to dig under the surface of this confronting scene. When we look more deeply, we can start to see that this innocent death is the willing act of a king who is leading his people to freedom. Now, it was royal pretensions that had led to Jesus being put on trial. The Jewish religious leaders had dragged him to Pilate saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. And royal irony runs all through the passage we read today. There's a sign stuck to the top of Jesus' cross saying, this is the king of the Jews. That was the Roman governor's way of saying, look what happens to anyone who rebels against Roman authority. Take note, be warned. But when we look back at that sign, we can see that it was spelling out the truth. A king who suffers was actually a well-known part of Israel's history and religion. Today we read Psalm 69, written about a thousand years before Jesus. The psalm expresses the experience of King David, the most famous king of Israel, who had gone through all sorts of pain and suffering before taking his throne. The suffering king pattern was well established in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus brings it to complete fulfillment. But the idea of a suffering Messiah seemed like nonsense to those gathered around Jesus on the cross that day. The rulers in the crowd sneered, verse 35, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah. The soldiers mocked, if you're the king of the Jews, come on, save yourself. One of the criminals next to him insulted him. Aren't you meant to be the Messiah? Save yourself and take us with you. <laughs> Little did they know who they were dealing with. This, in fact, was the one of whom the voice of God had said, this is my son whom I love. 
This, in fact, is the one who had rebuked violent storm so that the wind and the waves became silent instantaneously. This is the one who had dispatched whole armies of evil spirits with a stern word. This is the one whose story is not going to end here on Good Friday, but will continue on Easter Sunday. And amidst all these taunts from the people around him, we actually see Jesus' incredible faithfulness and determination. Since the very beginning of his public ministry, the devil had been working to knock him off track. Back in Luke chapter 4, with Jesus hungry in the desert for 40 days, the devil had tempted him, saying, come on, if you're God's son, use that power of yours to make yourself comfortable. Turn this stone into bread. But Jesus resisted because he had a saving mission to complete. Later, when Jesus first told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and die, his disciple Peter had objected, said, no, Lord, don't talk that way. That again was a message from the evil one, tempting Jesus to abandon his painful mission and instead take the road of comfort and self-interest. That's why Jesus responded so harshly to Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. And now, as Jesus is led to the cross and crucified, the crowds and the soldiers and the criminal next to him think they are taunting a powerless man. But in fact, they're being used by the devil to tempt the most powerful man in the world. Jesus really could have summoned an angelic army of warriors to strike down everyone present. He really could have come down from the cross and installed himself on a throne of comfort and worldly power. But he didn't. He stuck with his saving mission. Instead of striking his captors down, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Good Friday story is good news because here we see the great king acting willingly, proceeding with his saving mission to the end, resisting the temptation to save himself because he knew his mission was to save his people. In the Good Friday scene, there are just a small handful of characters who have some insight into what is truly going on. One of them is the Roman centurion we mentioned earlier, verse 47, he says, surely this was a righteous man. This Roman soldier was an outsider to Jesus' Jewish religious world, but nevertheless, he perceives an important truth about Jesus. And he gives us a hint that Jesus is more than just the king of Israel. We also have the group of women watching on, verse 49. These women had been following Jesus from Galilee. They are still following, watching events from a distance. By this point, all of Jesus' male disciples have run off terrified. But these women, people with little social standing or respect in their culture, they could perceive that the story might not yet be over. But the character I want us to look closely at today is the second criminal on the cross next to Jesus. He's sometimes referred to as the thief on the cross. 
But the thing is, this man had definitely not just stolen a loaf of bread. The Romans didn't crucify people for stealing. This man has to have been a murderer. He might have been someone who was actually guilty of violent rebellion against the Roman occupation. He was not a nice guy. But while the other criminal mocks Jesus, this one says something extraordinary. Have a look at verse 41. He says to the other criminal, we are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He speaks the truth. He can see and he can say out loud what everyone else is denying. Jesus is an innocent man. But he realizes that Jesus is not just an innocent man. He's an innocent king. So this condemned criminal says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I have to say, I've got no idea how he could see this. Jesus is minutes from death. And yet somehow this man can see that Jesus is on his way to his throne. I don't know where this insight came from. But he perceived the truth. Jesus was soon to enter his kingdom to be raised up and given the name above all names, with all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. This man next to him, who is utterly and obviously guilty, knows that the only hope for his future is to be remembered by King Jesus. Remember me, he says. Good Friday is good news because as Jesus dies, the king of God's people is leading his people to freedom. Jesus is the great king who goes on ahead of his people, taking on himself all the suffering that would otherwise fall on them. In Ukraine, we've admired leaders who stay on the job, who stick with their people even when the temperature heats up. I need ammunition, not a ride. What a line. But in Jesus, we have a king who doesn't just remain with his people. He walks out in front of them, puts himself in the firing line. As king, Jesus represents his people. And as representative, he can suffer on our behalf. Previously, Jesus had used the image of a mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings to protect them from harm. I don't know if you think I actually look like a hen. Just use your imagination. Back in Luke chapter 13, Jesus said that's what he longed to do for the people of Jerusalem, but they were not willing. But here on the cross, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is taking all the world's aggression and all of God's rightful judgment upon himself and shielding those who will take refuge in him. Because Jesus has gone ahead and suffered already, it's in his kingdom where there is safety and freedom and forgiveness. It's to the criminal who recognized him as king that Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. Standing on his own, that man was guilty and rightly condemned. 
And so it is for us if we stand on our own. But with Jesus as his king, representing him, vouching for him, remembering him, this man can be free from guilt, free from condemnation, assured of eternal life. And so it is for us. On Good Friday, the king was acting willingly, leading his people to freedom. And this is how we can look at the death of an innocent man and call it good news. But before we wrap up, I want to ask you, where were you that day? What's your place in this confronting Good Friday scene? If you look around at the various characters that we've met, which of them do you stand with? Are you caught up in the crowd? Not really able to make out the details of what's going on, but just assuming you should carry on mocking Jesus because that's what everyone else is doing. Is that where you are? Or are you up on the platform with Pontius Pilate? He could see that Jesus was innocent, but he didn't want to get too involved, didn't want to get his hands dirty because it might make his life more difficult. Is that your position? Do you stand with the soldiers who mockingly said, if he really was a king, then he sure wouldn't have ended up here? Or do you share the perspective of one of those men hanging on either side of Jesus? The thing is, when it boils down to it, each of us really only has two options when it comes to Jesus. You can crown him or crucify him. Where do you stand? Maybe you need to take some time to work out where you stand. And right at this moment, you're in a great place to do that. In particular, here at All Saints, in two weeks' time, we're starting a series of talks on Sundays called The Heart of Jesus. It's a series of talks where we're going to be delving into who Jesus really is at the core of his character. And following these talks, there's the opportunity to join an interactive course where you can ask your questions and probe the details. It's valuable to be able to dig in, to examine it for yourself before you settle on a position. But in the end, the events of Good Friday will force us to reach a conclusion about Jesus. We'll have to either crown him or crucify him. The death of this innocent man doesn't allow us to go home and say, what an interesting guy, past the hot cross buns. But this confronting scene does invite us to say to King Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And to hear him promise in reply, you will be with me in paradise. Amen.